to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, Jones, welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be here. So we're going to be chatting about doing business in China today. And why don't we start with a little bit about your business? Can you talk about what it is and and what kind of customers that you help? Yeah, sure. So I'm based in China and my business is also revolving around China. From my background, I've always been into technology, the internet, and, and just IT in general. So I moved here about six years ago. And after a few years, I started a business here called Red Star. And we help international businesses uh, get started and growing on the Chinese internet. So we basically do everything digitally that we could do for clients to help them succeed on the Chinese internet, which is a very different ecosystem, very different environment than anywhere else in the world due to several facts like the Great Firewall, all the other competitions, all the other platforms. And then we help with, with everything on there that could be from social media, that could be from having a website here that needs to be regulated and, and licensed to helping with cross-border payments if it's more on the commercial side or connecting to sales agents digitally for, for the business-to-business side. So it's quite a wide range of solutions that we can provide to our customers. Now, I was interested to talk to you because I know quite a few people that run businesses in China that help other businesses do business there, but that's mostly been on the supply side. And so when I've spoken with these business owners or service providers, they've mainly been connecting people who want to manufacture in China with factories and suppliers and quality assurance. And so they've been helping with that side of things. Whereas it sounds like your business is more helping businesses, international businesses to sell into China and doing that through digital platforms and through the Chinese internet. Would that be right? And could you give some examples of types of businesses that you would help sell into China? Yeah, exactly. So I don't focus as using China as a source for, for manufacturing or for production and then going taking that out of China to worldwide markets. And I'm really helping the foreign businesses move in and get a presence in the Chinese markets, selling to Chinese consumers. And that could be B2C with like products. Uh, but also a lot of our clients are, are B2B with a very high-end products or, or services. To give you maybe a little bit more example of that, we have helped a Canadian high-tech firm that have high measurements, very precise laser tools. It's like expensive high-tech equipment. It's very B2B for in-industry, for in-factories measuring certain things to the nano level. But we have built a presence for them. We, we help them get their website up and running in, in China. So that could be one example where we take a foreign business and then help them get a foothold or a digital presence in China just to help them support their sales agents or their network or their distributors. However, they have set it up. Some companies do it on their own. Some companies partner with distributors. It really depends on case by case. But we help them start on the Chinese ecosystem, on the Chinese internet. and. I imagine it's more than just translating their website from English into Chinese. I imagine that I've had a little bit of experience 
in China, not so much doing business there, but I've definitely traveled there a number of times. And I noticed even with my own experiences there, it seemed like business was done differently there. So when you're taking this Canadian business and then helping them to create their website for the Chinese market, could you describe what kind of things you need to consider? Is it more than just translating it into Chinese to serve or to attract the Chinese market? It's a good understanding for the audience to know that, and this is part of the education I go through when we onboard clients. So in the China market, from the consumer level, no one really has a computer. No one has a desktop computer. No one has a laptop or a very small percentage. If you look at the statistics, 98.4% are mobile only or mobile first. So that's a near 100% smartphone usage for the total amount of internet users, which is crazy, insanely high, right? So if you have a website, which is actually not that much used, but in, in the business to see, the website is not so much used, but in B2B, it still is. So I only would recommend getting a website up and running in China if you're doing B2B in some kind of form. If you're doing B2C, there are different strategies that I would apply. But if I, if I stay in a B2B sector, to get a website upside and running, you need the logistics, you need a space on the internet, which you can rent, but every website also needs to get licensed. So that is one of the things we do quite a bit. And that's the harder and more cost, a costly part of, of having a website. Anywhere in the world, you can have a website theoretically for like 10 bucks a month if you want, or even cheaper if you really look hard. Don't think about the quality at 10 bucks a month, but it's possible. In China, it's all a little bit more costly due to licenses and regulations. Everything is very regulated. And what kind of things do you need to do to get regulated? It seems quite a foreign concept. In Australia, you can just put the website up. For sure. Exactly. Officially, you need a Chinese business entity. So we deal with medium to large scale companies where quite a few of them already have subsidiaries in China. And through that subsidiary, that can be a foreign-owned subsidiary in China, but they are allowed to apply for certain internet licenses. And then we go through that process. The process is quite long and complicated. That, that would be another podcast in itself. So I don't think that's too interesting to, to completely go into. <laughs> but you need a lot of documents. It's a lot of stamps, which is very common in China. Stamp and sign everything. And then you just go through the process. And that's we, we guide and help our clients through that process. And it takes about... I don't know, three to three to five weeks to get an internet license basically going. And if we continue with the example of the Canadian business that's selling B2B, you've helped them get their internet license, they have a website up and running. Are there other strategies that you would then help with a high-tech B2B type business in terms of finding customers in China? Yeah. So something our clients are usually not aware of when they're starting in China is the amount of touch points a client or a customer or a potential customer needs before they actually become a paying customer. So in the West, it's about four touch points before someone makes a decision to purchase or a decision to contact. And with the touch points, I mean they have heard about the company. They have maybe seen a social profile of the company. They got a newsletter. Those are all separate touch points. And after four touch points in the West, they are more likely to make a purchase or contact or get more information about the company. In China, that's double. So that's at least eight touch points before they 
are even starting the process of purchase. In China, we recommend have a website, have your social media presence, be on multiple channels, put out content where your potential audience can find and connect with it because you want to have those higher amounts of touch points. So if you're in more places and you put content out in those places, you have a higher chance of your content reaching them and getting to those higher touch points. And then the potential client will reach out or start to making a buy-in decision. So that's something that is good to know for clients that are moving into China as well. And you mentioned that many of the social media platforms that we're familiar with, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they're not available in China. So could you talk through some of the options in China? I've heard of WeChat, but are there other platforms that people should be aware of? Yeah, so there, obviously, we have the Great Firewall here in China, which is a pain in the neck, to be honest, but it's it's part of life here and and you've got to deal with it. But that has given way for a whole different ecosystem. Just like in nature, if there's like a a natural barrier, certainly a whole range of flora and animals and, and creatures pop up in different ecosystems, right? So here is exactly the same. WeChat is the most famous, probably, which is like a chatting application, but it's so much more. It's a, it's an all-in-one tool. People spend about five hours a day in WeChat here in China, according to recent statistics. So that's quite significant. But beside uh, like the big guy, there's Weibo, which has been popular, which is a Twitter, Instagram kind of style platform. It's been popular for a long, long time, and it's, it's still growing quite significantly. Last year, they added 45 million new monthly active users. So they're still growing as well. And they're at like um, 400 to 500 million users. Those are the big two. And then if you go into, depending on what kind of industry or category or business you have, there's a whole range of smaller. And when I say smaller for China, they are smaller. They have a small market share in China. But with a small market share in China, you can still be in 100 million plus users, so that's still very significant. So there's for for e-commerce, a whole range of different platforms, and even like categories in e-commerce, it's it's ladies' fashion or makeup, or there's apps for travel. And then there's for business-to-business, there's like a a Quora, like a question-answer kind of platform where businesses can thrive and get official accounts so they can share their expertise. So there's like a whole range of options and really depending on the type of industry and, and the type of client, we usually make a custom recommendation on, on where to go. But we usually we start with with WeChat and Weibo. Those are the two main go-tos. And from there you can become more selective based on your business case and your industry. And then how do these companies go about creating content? Do they already have a team in China who can write the Chinese content or is that something that you help with? So yeah, that, that varies. Some of the clients that we work with, they already have some Chinese staff. That's what I would at least have. Do not use a Google Translate or some kind of translator. That, that is, that is going to be disastrous in the end. So you got to have a Chinese person. You can, of course, get those persons in-house, and some of the clients do. And they supply the content, basically, or they are involved in the content creation. Or you can get with a third party such as us, or there, there's other solutions as well, of course. And then we basically are your social media content generators. We have a team with, with Chinese locals who are 
really ingrained in the culture. And so it's not only just the language, but it's also the culture and the way how the Chinese consumers think and, and act. And why I said don't use like a translator. The language might be correct, even if the translation is correct. The internet uses a specific type of Chinese. So it has got like its own slang variations to it. And a translator is not able to pick that up or use them correctly. So you would get very officially static translations, which don't match with the tone of the brand. They don't match with how people on the internet act and, and behave. But in general, some of the companies have it in-house and then they do everything in-house or they do only the content generation in-house and we take care of publishing. Or other companies, they put it in a third party, they outsource that. And then we're really able to take care of their source information. So we still need input from those clients in English. And then we make that localization. So we don't do a translation, but we localize it to, to the Chinese internet, to the tone of voice, how they're the right pictures beside to it. We understand Chinese memes, which are very different than international or English memes. And then we can make that work. And then we go into the publishing of content. I have to ask, how did you get into this? And can you read and write and speak Chinese? Yeah, that, that's that's the funny part. I, the first time I came to China was 2007. So that's been a while ago, uh, I guess 12 years ago by now. Then since that, those times, I visited every year for a few months, a few weeks. But six years ago, I made the decision to fully relocate to China. I was in a moment in life where I, I could choice where I wanted to go. Things changed up a little bit. And I always was interested in, in moving to China. And I just made the call and I, I just did it. Before that, I already had my online digital business in the Netherlands, kind of similar to what I'm doing, very service-oriented as well. It maybe took me a few years to, to learn more about the Chinese internet here and, and get connections and make friends that could help me. But for the last three, four years, we've been helping uh, clients and customers with that. But yeah, how I got into it, just looking around, talking with people, and I've always been like an internet guy. I'm very interested in here. It's so interesting that the whole ecosystem is different. There's so much to learn. And I singly learn every single day. There's a nonstop thing because the trends and, and the platforms change here so quick. So like it's very hands-on, very, you got to stay up to date. Then the funny part is my clients, they, they feel comfortable. I think what our differentiation is, is they feel comfortable working with me. Because I can make that bridge and together with my team, we're more international and speak their language than maybe some local competitors who are more used to the Chinese business style and Chinese approach. That's my selling point because I am not Chinese. I speak a bit of Chinese, but my writing and my reading is quite horrible, actually. But together with the team, so I do a lot of the initial onboarding and then the team takes over and they do the actual execution, especially when it's on social, because I, I can't write Chinese social. That would be a disaster. <laughs> and so how did you find those staff? And how did you know they were doing a good job? And the reason I'm asking that is because I think a lot of service business owners start out selling a skill that they do themselves. And then that makes it very difficult for them as the business owner to scale out of service delivery. But also they can be very hands-on in reviewing and critiquing the work of the people, their team doing the service delivery because they often feel they can do it better. So I, I think this is a interesting, yeah, it's really interesting to hear how you set that up. Yeah, sure. I, I hear what you're saying. And I 
try to be less involved once the projects really get going. But I'm a little bit of a perfectionist as well. And we're still improving on, on things personally, but that's like personal development, right? But like some of the things I just can't do because I'm not a master of the language. And even if you have studied the Chinese language and you're really good at it, I still don't think you can be as native as, as a Chinese. And it's, it's not an easy language at all. But we, we have, like I have a Chinese, Chinese partners that I trust and they help me with a lot of the things. And I, I'm still learning on that side as well very much every time. But they take care of like the HR, they take care of those kind of things hiring and a lot of our staff is from which is a great thing a lot of chinese they have traveled overseas now for studying abroad in the us and the uk and in france where a lot of different markets uh, australia as well so there's a lot of they call them turtles and there's a lot of turtles coming back from chinese who have studies abroad coming back to china looking for interesting jobs why are they called turtles i don't know they're sea turtles so they have traveled overseas and they're coming back. I think that's the, that's the connection there. They've seen how businesses work in, in, in abroad and, and they know businesses from experience and friends, how they work in China. And after they have been abroad, they feel more comfortable being in an international environment. So I'm not saying it's easy to find the right staff. It's actually quite difficult, but we've been able to acquire a few great people on the team and, and get them on the team and keep them on the team so far. Let's turn the conversation now to selling B2C into China. And I think that will be interesting for a lot of our audience who run e-commerce businesses. And many of these are selling consumer products. And China seems like a huge market in terms of the number of, the sheer volume of people that are there that could buy the product. But it also can seem overwhelming and, and difficult to get started. What are your thoughts or what would be your tips for someone that runs an e-commerce store, they're selling maybe some kind of high-end consumer product and they want to sell into the Chinese market? What are your thoughts on how they should get started? Yeah, so how I would get started is, first of all, there's there's two types of, of trade in, in the B2C going to China. There's a general trade, as they call it, which is sending over a container or a boatload of, of products clearing customs and keeping them in Chinese warehouses and then trying to sell them. That is the one approach. The other approach is what they call cross-border e-commerce. And with cross-border e-commerce, you can ship over products to China, but keep them in a bonded warehouse. It is in China, but outside of custom clearance. So just like in an airport, you are in the airport, for example, in China, but you haven't cleared customs yet. So you're technically not in in that country yet. So the same with the product. That's the second method, so cross-border e-commerce. And then the sub-method from cross-border e-commerce would be just shipping products individually by postal. With that, you have the risk of the customer being having to pay duty and taxes when their single shipment arrives. And with the second method, cross-border e-commerce, you don't have to do that. And with the second method, you can also ship much smaller quantities. So if you just want to ship a pallet or half a pallet, you can ship those products into China and keep them in a bonded warehouse till the actual sale is completed. How I would go approach from an initial perspective, I would uh, start selling through what are called in Chinese daigos, which are usually Chinese local people who are studying abroad or are living abroad or have some connections abroad. 
And they are sourcing products on a very small scale. Uh, that could be, for example, I'm from the Netherlands. We've got a, a thriving baby milk powder business going on in the Netherlands. There's hundreds of people who just go to shops and they pick up baby milk powder and make individual shipments to China to a friend who then resells it. So that's the Daigo network. Rules are changing this year for that a little bit, but that's still a very much, uh, if we're talking like an MVP, like minimal viable product or minimal viable service, that would be my first way to get a little bit of experience on how to go. You can try to source these Daigos on your own if you, if you find local people who can help you with that. And there's also some suppliers that have collected some of these Daigos together and they have a network. And then you say, okay, we have this product. So if you come to us, we can connect you with these Daigos from all around the world. Say we have this product and we want to ship in small quantities and they take actually care of the sales. They do the marketing for you. And then they get a, you get a cut of the commission basically. So that would be my first step to like really start small. And then if you see there is a validation, if you see there's like sales going, then you can scale it up to the, to the second level, maybe send over a pallet and then start thinking about partnering up with maybe some of the popular e-commerce platforms like Tmall and Jingdong. And there's a whole range and there's like, you can create a whole strategy based on that. I like the way you've described that in terms of an MVP first, so testing whether the product will sell into the Chinese market and then maybe partnering up with one of the platforms. Exactly. Would you recommend trying to find a, a local business partner or, or is it possible to, once you're on the platforms, to to do that yourself? Local business partner, I would save all the way at the end of the process if you're really going large scale, if you're going general trade, if you're uh, getting distributors. You can get onboarded on these platforms. It's not really cheap. It's, it's quite expensive, actually, because you're paying quite a lot of deposits on the platforms to, to get on there. But for that, you, you can manage by yourself. So the large platforms like Jingdong and Tmall Global, they have international sales teams in the US, in Europe, in Australia. You can contact them and then they can help you go through that whole onboarding process and they tell you exactly what to do. They will put promotions for you or they will make shops for you on the platform. You can have control over those shops as well. Depending on, on how well things go, they can bump you up in the listings, which is an important thing. Or you can pay them more money to be higher visible in their shops. Because there's so much competition. If you're if you're not visible, even if you're on the platform, there's like a million other competitors or a million other products on the platform as well. So you need to get a certain visibility in those platforms, which usually comes in a form of money in some way or, or shape. And is there anything to be concerned about in terms of selling your product and then having it copied and having other suppliers in China sell or make out like they're selling your product when it actually isn't the original? The platforms are getting better. So like Tmall and Jingdong, they only deal with original products. There's other platforms where you can still find knockoffs or, or fakes, but that is actually being getting harder. When I first came here six years ago, you could buy anything basically. So I, that's a positive trend in that regards, I'd say. But I'd say it's all about brand. So if someone is knocking off your brand because you've done a good job, then, well, that's, that's a pat on the back in the first place. 
and they're making the whole pie bigger. So maybe they start taking a slice of the pie, but if the whole pie is growing, that in the end, if your brand is really branded is and you put all the effort in and it's powerful brand, then yeah, it's unfortunate, but I, you can't stop it anyway. So even if you're not selling into China right now and you've already got a product that is popular, then those daigos, those people who are doing very small e-commerce transactions, they're already exporting and importing your product into China without you knowing it. They're already growing the pie. Like if you've got a popular product, like a famous product, people in China, they search, they do a lot of research. They, they need to get those age touch points. They probably already know about your product and they're already talking about it on the Chinese internet and you're losing out on the pie anyway. So if they're making the pie bigger, that's not a bad situation, I'd say. Yeah, I'm turning the conversation back to your business. How do you promote your business and how do you find your customers? So we do, it's content marketing. So my main strategy is content marketing. I don't do too much advertising or, or other ways. It's all about putting content out there and putting myself out there. So I'm quite active on, on LinkedIn. I've got a little community there. I run a podcast myself called the China Business Cast, which is very applicable to the topic we're talking about today, of course. But yeah, just putting myself out there together with our company website and creating content and blog posts around issues that a lot of, of our clients face when coming to China, how to get started on social media, how to apply for licenses for websites in China. So those are our incoming inbound marketing strategies. And John's two final wrap-up questions. Did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share with the audience around doing business in China? And then what would be the best way for a listener to get in touch with you? So yeah, for doing business in China, two points that I would say. First point would be, if you're interested in doing business in China, buy an airplane ticket and spend a month in China. That might seem like a big investment that might seem to cost time. Well, first of all, you'll, you'll most likely enjoy it because it's, it's quite adventurous and, and different here. So that is great. But you just want to spend time on the ground seeing how China works as it's a very different world than anywhere else, I'd say. Go spend in the metro for two hours during rush hour. Well, maybe not the, the height of rush hour because you'll be squished in, in a metro, but just right after or right before see how people are behaving, see how they're using their phones, basically, because everyone will be looking at their phone. Just look over their shoulders, see what, what they're doing on their phone, how they're using it. You'll see them you doing e-commerce like right in the metro. They'll, they'll be buying things or they'll be on social media. Try to see that and, and try to learn from that because it's very different than in the, um, in the West, for example. So that would be my, my first point. And the second point, the Chinese market is very, very interesting. There are still lots of opportunities. And if you've landed on an opportunity, it's usually at a quite a scale compared to, to other places. But it's, it's for the long haul. So you gotta be here. You, you gotta be really dedicated to the, to the market because it's not easy. It's far from easy, but the opportunities are there. So you gotta have. Patience, you got to have a little bit of a budget to move into the Chinese market. But if you do have, then there are opportunities and they can be very lucrative in the end. Those would be my two last points to add for now. Wonderful. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about your services, where should they go? 
Yeah, sure. So the easiest way would be to learn more about the services is our website. So that would be redstarconsultants.com. And you can find contact information and schedule calls with me directly as well. But the best second place would be my LinkedIn profile. If you just search for my name, Jans Slammer, my profile should pop up and you can see everything I'm working on and reach out on me there as I'm, I'm quite active there as well. So those would be the two immediate easiest points. If you're on WeChat, you can reach out to me on WeChat just by searching my first name. I've got a whole personal branding thing with an official account going on there for myself as well. So that's a, that's quite the journey as well. And I'm trying to learn for myself and do it for myself on the spot, not only for the clients. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on, Jans. It's been, I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks so much. It's uh, it's always a great pleasure to to be on another podcast and not being doing the interviewing for once. <laughs> Want to upgrade your financial skills and learn how to use Zero better? Here's what Stevie, one of our past students, shared about her experience with our Financial Literacy for Zero Users course. I just wanted a simple way to understand it for peace of mind. I wanted to make sure that everything would be really kind of plain English, easy for me to understand, and that if I had questions specific to my own personal circumstances, that I could have those answered as well because that's where I was feeling really lost. I basically went from having no idea about how zero worked or how to read a profit and loss statement or what a general ledger was to feeling like I was comfortable with all of those things. And I really kind of got to the point where I understood the financial health of my business. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero farm and not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and want peace of mind with your finances, our course might be the solution. Applications are now open for our financial literacy for zero users training course designed for non-accountants who want to better understand and manage small business finances. Head over to beanninjas.com forward slash course to learn more about our financial literacy course and to apply.